0: Shrink rap radio number 799. Varun Gandhi, PhD, on story, passion, and service. Now, here's the interview. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink rap radio.
1: You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave. Trink wrap radio, all the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr.
0: Dave. My guest today, Dr. Varun Gandhi, describes himself as a orchestrator, solopreneur, angel investor, inventor, philanthropist, and a water doctor. He enjoys orchestrating businesses, events, and ideas about the self and self-image. He also has a podcast directed to allowing fellow Americans of South Asian heritage to tell their stories and support one another. Now, here's the interview. Dr. Varun Gandhi, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio.
1: Thank you, David. So, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm really happy to have you here. You know, you kind of reached out to me and I kind of, well, who is this guy? You, you sort of reached out and you said, well, I've been looking for a uh, podcast that might be open to, to me, to, you know, to you. And I thought, well, let's check him out. And uh, you have a, a podcast that you do. And uh, so I checked you out there. And uh, I really whetted my appetite to get to know you and to have you on the show here. And um, so I came away with the impression that you're all about story, passion, and service. And I know that you have a podcast in which you facilitate other people telling their stories. And we'll talk about that down the line a bit. Uh, I think you have a fascinating story yourself So how about you're taking time to share it with us here and um, in as much detail as you want. We've got plenty of time.
1: All right, thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, Love and Abundance, everyone. You know, uh, before I go into my story, I really quickly wanna do the water ritual. And this is my reminder uh, for everyone to drink water on a daily basis. I recently read this book called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And it essentially says that there are about 50% of diseases out there, commonly occurring diseases would go away if we just drink enough water, mm. uh, you know, like migraines and colds and things like that. Just drinking enough water, being hydrated on a regular basis and maintaining that, right? I think the maintenance is important as well. Um, you know, so I just wanna remind everyone to take a water. And if you have a little bit of water with, with you right now, let's uh, take a sip together. Cheers.
0: Okay, I've got some here. Okay, well,
1: yeah. good. Okay. and uh, So my story now. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, and uh, so I have a, one of the things that my title is a water doctor, and this started in, in a very different format. Right now I'm reminding people to drink water, and that's kind of like a therapy for me. Um, but it started off in a very different fashion. I was in that common path in life, you know, I'm gonna go graduate from high school, go to college, get a master's, uh, get a bachelor's degree. Get well, I'm gonna
0: take you further back than that. I want you to to yeah. tell me uh, about your early life, your family background, uh, where you were born, uh, your growing up years. Sure. We're gonna start way back, the whole oh, story.
2: Wow, okay, okay <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: let's do that. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Dubai, uh, lived there till I was 15 and moved to America in 2001. That's a few months before 9-11, uh, July, 2001. So the first 15 years, I grew up in a very, even though it's in Dubai and you hear, think about Dubai now when you see all these sky rises and yeah, know, like really? modern, modern Dubai, which has actually been developed in the last 15 years uh, since I left. Uh, but what I remember Dubai as this, you know little city in the middle of a desert that had a lot that already had a lot going on uh but it was still very quiet in the sense of you know all of this hoo-ha about the development all of that wasn't there so it's very simple living uh in there you know there was a huge indian population i'm uh, from india and uh, my parents were born and brought up there um uh, so because of uh, you know this huge Indian population, there were a lot of schools, pr- private schools that come from India. So all of the education and everything was kind of Indian based, and really? you know, we learned Indian history, geography. We did some local work as well, you know, studying about the history of the country that we were in, United Arab Emirates. Uh, you know, learning more about it, learning the language as well. We had a second language of Arabic, but before that we had English, and then Hindi was uh, the, the second language that we to learn, and the third language was Arabic. And so we, we had a kind of a holistic curriculum.
0: Yeah. Oh, so, those languages develop your brain, you know?
1: They do. You're learning learning they,
0: those languages at I, an early age. You know?
1: I see the value of them now, right? right. I, now I'm kind of reaping, reaping the benefit yeah. of mo- knowing multiple different languages. Yeah. Uh, but back then, I'm like, why are we doing this? You know, I find it pointless. Uh, because in, in essence, the way everything was taught there was to memorize it, like just memorize all of this. Uh, even Arabic, for example, I mean, it's not our first language, but we were taught how to read and then memorize everything so that when you get the test, you could just basically just write it down. And, yeah. You know, you'll get well, it.
0: Was, uh, was Dubai reaching out to Indians with work opportunities? Was, you know, I know they're oil rich and uh, so they needed workers. Was that was, what was going on for your family and your community there?
1: Uh, for my family specifically, it was actually uh, a different trajectory. My parents were there uh, since the early eighties and they lived there because my dad is a civil engineer. So there was a lot of construction going on. Oh, They've wow. always been heavy in construction. Uh, and so he had found an ideal job there. Uh, and initially he started out doing with some business. He was an entrepreneur in uh, Dubai, but it was very difficult. The laws were against him and the, uh, over a year, of a couple of years or so, he lost a lot of money. He lost everything.
2: Oh. Uh, this
1: was before I was born, even. Uh, and now, when I was born, the day I was born, my mom was delivering me at five p.m. in the morning. In the a.m., my dad was had given an interview at ten o'clock in the morning, uh, and they said, "When can you start?" Like basically, the day I was born, he had got this job that kept us stable for fifteen years all the way through until we moved to America. Uh uh-huh. Before that he was barely paying rent. Uh, there were periods of when my brother was a few months old or uh, maybe even a year old, uh, my dad, my mom would hide with my brother, turn off all the lights when the landlord came for the money because oh, they yeah. wouldn't have money to pay the rent. You know? So they yeah. were like, had seen those times. And when I was born, things suddenly shift, shifted for them. Everything started you know, becoming stabilized. But my dad grew up with a scarcity mentality because of that rough period in his life right now he still carries that scarcity mentality and that came in me as well for the first 25 years 27 30 years of my life I lived in that scarcity mentality it's only until I started slowing down meditating which which I'll talk about it later as well Uh, but it was only until I started slowing down is when I realized like hey I can I I'm running from scarcity and I you know, it's, it's, my, it's up to me to move towards abundance, to switch my mindset that's all inside of me. And this is part of my journey of understanding how okay. we are always telling stories.
0: Okay, you're getting a little ahead in the, in the story I'm, again. I'm
1: jumping way ahead, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh,
0: did your family, ha- did your parents have any particular religious orientation?
1: Yeah, we are uh, Jain, uh, which is... Uh, a small religion out of India, uh, practiced by about five million people worldwide, um, and essentially we, one of our main tenets is ahimsa, which is nonviolence.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: a couple others are aparigraha and anekantvad. Anekantvad is multiplicity of viewpoints, meaning you know, accepting all of the different viewpoints oh, that other people hold. like well. that,
0: yeah. <laughs> good
1: uh, like we're all looking at the elephant, but we may just see the, 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 the foot of the elephant and not look at the whole body of the elephant. Right. You know, and just thinking that it's a tree. Uh, and so that's one of the tenets. And so, you know, nonviolence is big for Mahatma Gandhi, for Martin Luther King Jr., uh, you know, when he was doing the nonviolence movement here.
0: So is Gandhi... A name that you were born with, or was that adopted as, to that's, match that's your own? My, face? Uh,
1: the name that I was born with. Yeah. Oh, that's, it was okay. Yeah. So that's my uh, my ancestor's last name has always been Gandhi for as like, yeah. So
0: that's that's a nice line to be in right there. Uh, you know, yeah. somewhere you're related to the well-known yeah. other Gandhi. Yeah. And what was the added? added uh, yeah, I've seemed to associate with Jainism also real reverence for life and for animal life.
1: Yes, it's that's part of the nonviolence, ahimsa. It's, you know, yeah. every life, no matter how small, no matter how big, is the same, is equal. And we treat it as equal. So mm-hmm. you know one, one way of that I practice ahimsa on a, in a daily basis is if I see a bug in the house, I'll gently take it outside and, you know, let it go outside into my backyard or Yeah, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, Um, my wife does that, and and, uh, at least one of my sons does that. Uh, I can't confess to always being quite that uh, spiritually oriented (laughs) to bugs in my house.
1: (laughs) It does take a level of, uh, you know, so my wife is is scared of bugs. So she's always like, she wants to practice nonviolence, so she'll run (laughs) away from it and be like, hey, this is on you. You go take care of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, like whatever right. I
1: take, take it out of the house. Yeah.
0: Um, I try to do that too with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, in that
1: sense, I've developed the tolerance or developed that you know, yeah. sense of I'm not really afraid of the bug. You know, yeah. times I'll find a cockroach around, around my office and I'll like, you know, scoop it out outside in a, in a pan. Um, Yeah, just do what I can. But essentially that's a tenet that we can all live with, you know, nonviolence in every form. Part of that is the veganism movement originates from that nonviolence principle Uh of not uh, harming animals, not supporting cruelty to animals uh, in various forms.
0: Yes, yes. So um, was there prejudice towards Indians in Dubai?
1: Yes. And you would hear about it. And occasionally I would face it, uh, but there was, I would say, you know, to give you a percentage wise, probably about 75, 70 to 75% of the population of, of United Arab Emirates was foreign, meaning they came from the Indian subcontinent, India, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Pakistan, all those different countries, Bangladesh, everywhere, Nepal. Because of the workers, a lot of them come from this population. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, my parents, my dad was skilled. Uh, he had gone to college, so he had the skills of, you know, construction and understanding how to construct the uh, structures and buildings yeah. and, and things like that. So he had a job where he was in an office and working on, uh, you know, estimating bids and things like that on... on construction projects. So I was fortunate enough to have a stable life growing up uh, because of my dad's well paying job.
0: Yeah. So you went to high school there?
1: I went to high school there and I moved here in 11th grade. So I did two years of high school there and then moved here. So it was a rough time to come here started, uh, you know, 11th grade in high school in an American oh, yeah. yeah. Being maybe having 10 kids the same color as me in my in my class.
0: And what's, what, uh, where was that, that you- This was opened? in
1: Northwest of Atlanta, of downtown Atlanta in a city called Kennesaw. And uh-huh. um, I'd gone to uh, this high school called North Cobb High School, uh, which, I mean, it was a great high school, no complaints about it. It was just that I was going through a lot that time, yeah, you know, coming I to a imagine. place where you don't know anyone. Right. I, I did have family here, my cousins, so my, my mom's sister, Uh, was the reason that we were able to come here and uh, her family because they sponsored us way back in the 80s and then in the 2000s about 12 to 13 years later we got our call for the interview to get our green card so it took the whole process of 13 years to come here my
0: goodness yeah yeah. it takes a long time
1: Take a yeah and now it's even longer now it's like 40 50 years
0: oh my goodness yes so um at that point in high school Uh, Did you have any kind of career goal, or was your family kind of pushing you in one direction or another?
1: They weren't really pushing me in a direct. Well, they were pushing me to towards the engineering, towards that uh, you know the sciences or computers, uh, Mm -hmm. but essentially towards the sciences, engineering. And uh, it's always been in my family as well. My my dad is an engineer. His dad is an engineer. Fourth generation ago, as an engineer and all of the same kind of engineering, civil engineering. Uh, so when I went into school, I was into college even. Uh, high school, I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and so when I applied to college, I applied as an undecided engineer. Uh, back then in Georgia Tech, we, we had that as a major, but you could apply, apply into that. And yeah. then a year later, two years later, you could select your major.
0: Yeah, and Georgia um, Tech is well known for uh, as an engineering school.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the closest school to us, 25 miles away. And it was the, one of the best schools in the country for engineering, at least in the top 10. Yeah. Or, you know, top 15 in different uh, categories. So I'm a rambling yeah.
0: wreck from Georgia Tech.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> my, my degree is right up there, Georgia Tech.
0: <laughs> All right. So is that where you got your PhD?
1: I, I, yeah. So I was uh, fortunate enough to be approved to go. Through from my bachelor's all the way to my PhD, so I was at Georgia Tech for nine and a half years.
0: Wow! And so, uh, so your PhD is in uh, in engineering, which is unusual for my show. Usually, the PhDs are from psychology or you know something related to that. But you're very welcome. I uh, original I was originally accepted into electrical engineering at the University of Pennsylvania, but wow. uh, I switched out early because. I did not have a, the strong enough uh, math background, so uh, uh,
1: yeah. Electrical. I did take a couple of electrical classes when I was going through Georgia Tech as an undergrad, and I did not enjoy it. Um, I'm glad I wasn't in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was a, a real fan of electronics as a kid because I became a ham radio operator. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Um, was uh at the time that i grew up shortwave radio was a great hobby and you could listen to and talk to if you've got licensed you could talk to people all over the world morse code and so on so i was really into that 14 15 16 years of age
1: that's amazing oh yeah. man you rarely get to hear that now <laughs> The stories are a lot
0: the, the world has changed so much like it was a big deal You know, as a small kid, my ambition—I knew that that the soldiers had walkie-talkies, and I thought, "Wow, that'd be great! I could talk to my friend across town if I had a walkie-talkie." And I begged my parents, "I want a walkie-talkie for Christmas." (laughs) They went to war surplus stores. They couldn't find a walkie-talkie. You know, at that at that time, and it was out of that desire that I then read about and found out and. you know, figured out how to become a, a quotes ham radio operator.
1: Oh man, that's such a great story.
0: Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell my stories in here too a little bit. I we'll mix it, it up. We'll mix I, I, it up.
1: I really appreciate that. Yeah.
0: yeah so yeah. it sounds like you know we can move into the, uh, the. I'll let you charge ahead now into your adult life. Um, mm-hmm. That you were doing your best to. Uh, to live the, "quotes American dream or maybe the Indian dream of uh, great business engineering success?
1: Yeah, it was this traditional life of, you know, the career uh, and continuously focused on that 20 years, 30 years, put it into one field uh, and build it. And so for what I was familiar with, what my parents were familiar with is having a, a focus in one career and finding a job within that not so much business, right? My dad already had a bad uh, experience with business. So he was kind of pushing me in the direction of finding a stable job, finding a stable career. And that's what my focus was as well. I was like, all right, that's the only thing I know. Let me do it.
0: Let's find a safe spot that I can just stay in. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly. And and I was doing that for a long time. I graduated with a PhD. I was like, okay, I'm so focused on environmental engineering. So my PhD was environmental engineering. And specifically, I was focused on the drinking water that comes into our house. I was focused on a certain treatment process before it came into the house. Uh, and you know that was my PhD on it. So that was my, uh, my initial start in the phrase of water doctor, because I have my.
0: Ah, oh, yeah, water. right. So the, it really makes sense from that point of view. So and that's how I, I
1: started as a water doctor.
0: And, and also, I'm thinking of you as a Jainist, you know, that it was a good sort of spiritual outlet in a way, because you were going to devote yourself to the environment and to, you know, that we live in.
1: You know, that uh, it's a mixed bag, I would say, because. The only reason is the non-violence principle, right? Uh, what I was doing my uh, doctorate in was using UV radiation, ultraviolet radiation, to not really kill, not really kill the bug, but them not being able to replicate. The reason that something infects us and we get affected or get have a disease inside of us is because that bug comes in and then it replicates. Yeah, replicate over and over again, right? So what the UV radiation would do is to zap its DNA so that it cannot replicate. Right. And so so it was kind of a mixed bag because I was hurting the little organism that's in the water, even though I know it's for a greater cause of preventing uh, catastrophe in the human health uh, sphere, health sphere. So looking at that lens, yes, definitely it was as being a um, Jainist, you know, following Jainism it's uh, very aligned with our principles.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: and so from there, you know, I, then uh, I got, got my PhD, graduated, I got a job, I found a job and I moved to Idaho. Uh, so my whole life I'd been in Atlanta, my whole American life was in Atlanta. Uh, and the, the only job interview that I got, that I had the only job offer that I received was in Idaho, Boise, Idaho. So I moved there, not sure. knowing that Idaho existed. Uh, <laughs> but I, was I mean, yeah. When I went for the interview, that was the first time I was like, wow, that is a state. I didn't really know that it existed, but yeah. I'm gonna go check it out and it's beautiful. If you haven't been to Idaho, anybody that's listening right now or David, even you, please definitely go visit Boise and the Northern part of Idaho is beautiful. Mountains, mm-hmm. high mountains, and it's, it's yeah. just gorgeous. Uh, so I went out there and now, this is my i've been talking about my career thus far i'm gonna go a step into my love life and rewind just a little bit good always story.
0: interested in that yeah
1: yeah um so I, I was in this amazing relationship as i was going through my phd and she was the one that i thought was you know, the one i saw her with two kids at suburbia life the american dream you know i saw her with that in that in that role and all of a sudden things unraveled over six months. And uh, next thing I knew, we were on a break. I, I don't know if you watch Friends, but you know, there's a whole thing about we were on a break in Friends. Um, uh, and so we were on a break and at that point, and I was going through my PhD like six months away from graduation. So this was high time for me to focus, to you know, put my dissertation together, my 150, 200 page book. Uh, Write all of that and then put my presentation and create everything so that I could finally graduate. Well, I couldn't focus on that. So I told her, look, I need time away from you. I really need to focus on this and continue with this so I could graduate. You know, I already have a deadline of August and this was uh, like three months, four months out.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: So at that point, I guess in her mind, she decided, like, hey, I'm going to move on. And she kind of moved on where, And I was still kind of like stuck in that, Hey, we're still, you know, I I still want to date you. I still want to like, you know, take it further, but I need to focus on this for now. Uh, so that kind of happened. And I was like, I wasn't sure. So what I did was, I said, let's meet up, let's go on a one final date and let's, you know, see how things are between us. And if you want to move forward, let's just move forward. If you want to move on, let's move on. Well, at that point I didn't have any feelings. I kind of like, you know, it the, that whole spark that lasted for two years, wasn't there anymore.
0: And, Had you, had you been married or it was all dating up to that? It was all
1: dating. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. In my mind, I I had already been engaged to her, but you know, like physically it was all dating at that point, Uh, but it it escalated really quickly. Like within a month we had said, I love you to each other Uh, from month one to month three or four, she had gone to India. Uh, I was in, uh, in America. So like we were going through this phase of, you know, we were, we had already said, I love you right before she left. And then she had gone and now we're not able to see each other for three months, not even be able to speak to each other on a daily basis. It was like through yeah. emails once a week, you know, so that kind of like made made us grow fonder of each other, made us grow even closer because we were sharing our stories through email. Um, and so it, we got really close in a very short period of time. So even those two years, it felt like a five year old relationship
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because we had done so much. Uh, but. Towards the end, I started realizing that I was turning into something that I did not enjoy. And this is where, uh, you know, when I was with her, I was very, you know, all of the love and everything inside of me would come out. But when I was apart from her, I realized there was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of story, negative story creation in my mind that was harming me. Not only that, I was also putting all of that on her. And you know, so all of the jealousy would come out at this point when I wasn't in the same city as her, because uh, for the last about six months or so, she had uh, taken up a job, which was four hours away. So I wouldn't see her on a daily basis. And because of that, I would create like paranoia in my mind. Oh, like, you know, she's going to leave me. She's going to find someone else, someone more interesting than me. So there was like self-worth issues there as well. Uh, so all of that started coming up. And I was like, I don't enjoy this person. And then I would get really annoyed with her. i get really angry with her for no reason, you know, for, uh, for like really tiny things like, oh, I wanna go hang out with my coworkers who happened to be all male because she was working in a, um, in a factory, uh, you know, in a paper mill. Uh, and so naturally the, you know, environment of majority of a, a male population, well, you know, so she would go and hang out with the younger males and I would get really jealous and upset. And so I'd always, you know, get in fights with her right before she would go and hang out. So it was a really like a negative time for me as well. And all this stuff was coming out for me. Uh, so it all very, six months kind of went downhill. And now I was in this phase of, I was still at to graduate and I'd broken up with her. But for the first few months I, was, I could focus and I was, you know, doing my best uh, but I would wake up like with tears in my eyes every morning mm. for first about three, four, six months, yeah. uh, you know, like things are not the same anymore. I was used to that way of life where there was a lot of love and all of a sudden now that's no longer my reality. And I couldn't accept that fact, right? It took me a while to accept it. So I'd wake up, be like, what the fuck is going on? And, you know, I'd shed tears and it was, it was same story for two months. Uh, so at that time, and I, but I still had to focus on writing and, you know, really had to concentrate. On my work, uh, so I would uh, put on something comedy in the morning. First thing in the morning, I'd wake up before jumping on my on the work. I would sit on my computer, and John Stewart had his Daily Show, yeah, uh, where, which which was really funny. You know, I yeah. would really enjoy it every mo- every morning. Uh, that twenty two minutes of comedy, and that's how I would start my day with his comedy, uh, and he got me through this really tough period of mm. uh, you know making sure I could finish my PhD and get over that
0: fascinating yeah i was going to ask you did you go to the counselor on campus or go into therapy to deal with that but no you you went to the comedy
1: i went to comedy yeah i I, I can
0: relate to that (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and uh, comedy uh, has been there even now when i when i need something to pick me up i'll just go to a comedy dave Chappelle, or something funny online and it always picks me up yeah um yeah and you know so i was going through that but then I moved to idaho so now idaho uh you know this was october uh, i graduated in august and in october i moved to idaho uh during this time like idaho was my period of going into the cave because i didn't know anyone in idaho you know i was all by myself all alone again just like when i come from uh, from dubai to atlanta yeah uh, Now, but this time I was a man doing it by myself. At that time I had my parents, you know, some support, but this time it was like, I landed Idaho, don't know anyone. Well, so this kind of taught me a lot, but even though I had all of this alone time, I wouldn't use it or utilize it towards my spiritual work or towards diving deeper and understanding what my issues were. What I would instead was looking for is opportunities to distract myself. So I would go, you know, to the bar, I'd get drunk every weekend, hang out with friends, find more people to hang out with. Anything to distract myself from that work, right? Yeah. So the first year I just went in that. And there was a lot of alcohol involved because there was a lot of pain and suffering in my life. Um, and, you know, I used alcohol to distract myself from that constant pain and the suffering that voice in sure. my life. Uh, so the first year I went and just killing myself with, in alcohol and food and all this uh, nasty stuff. I, I've, been, I've been vegetarian all my life, but, you know, French fries is vegetarian as well, uh, you know. And so there are a lot of unhealthy options that, that I was exposed to and uh, constantly just eating out, killing myself. And finally, I realized about a year and a half into it, like, hey, something is off. Like, I don't, you know, I feel, I feel this way and I, don't, I no longer want to feel this way. Uh, you know, I need to do something about it. And that's when I started uh, reading. I, I read this book uh, by Deepak Chopra called The Book of Secrets. And it's a very advanced, at that time, it was very advanced for me. You know, 95% of it, I didn't understand. I didn't pick up. Mm-hmm. It just went over my head. But there was a little bit that I did pick up, and that was meditation. And that's That Thus began my journey into meditating. And so I'll tell you, up until this point, I was on that rat race that wheel, just running, running, running constantly. I had never given myself to slow down to, you know, and without slowing down, I wasn't able to introspect. I hadn't, you know, gone back and understood what I've done in the past. You know, I'd I'd never done that. Uh, this was, I was 25, 26, 27 years of my life. I'd never done a self introspection exercise. So finally, when I picked up meditation, I was giving myself that space. Giving myself that time, you know, that, 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 uh, even if it was that hour, whatever that time it was, but I was now had the space to do some sort of journaling, to even just sit with myself and, you know, pay attention to what my past experiences were, especially that relationship towards the end of it, how I was feeling. So I went through a phase when I was in Idaho. Uh, I may have done a lot of this unconsciously, but it was kind of happening in the background where I was processing everything that happened during that relationship. Yes. Why was I getting jealous? Why was I angry in these situations? You know, I had to know this because I didn't want to carry that forward in my next relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah. During
1: my time in Idaho, again, I was distracting myself with another relationship. There was like an on and off relationship, but kind of steady with one person. But uh, we would have our fights go, going ups and downs. So it was very turbulent. And I would see my old self in that relationship as well. And so I was I was doing the work while I was going through that relationship in Idaho. What I realized is one of the things that I'd grown up with is Bollywood movies. And Bollywood, America,
0: yeah, Bollywood, yeah. Bollywood, right.
1: In America, Hollywood. People grow up with movies. Yeah. You know, growing up watching these movies. I realized that the movies that I was exposed to had this jealous protagonist that had to protect this female from the bad guys. Uh-huh. And the bad guys could be anywhere and everywhere. And, you know, any male talking to her would be a bad guy. So I had this kind of perception in in my mind of this person that I I had to be in a relationship with the girl. And I was living that macho man, you know, uh, making sure that I was in control of the relationship, like putting a firm hand, uh, things like that. And it was very, very controlling. And I was realizing that even though even I was spending time with her, I was enjoying that time, but I would be in this phase of Controlling things, if I, you know, whenever I could. Right. Um, so it was a lot of negativity that I was able to uncover and understand about myself while I was going through this phase.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable that uh, that there was this uh, unfolding inside you, this sort of flowering of insight. Um,
1: and it was, in a in in a sense, it was also. Like I wasn't consciously doing that, but it was happening sort of in the background while I I was also smoking weed at this time. So that helped me uh, expand my mind in different ways as well. Um, And I was doing it occasionally at that point. So whenever I would do it, first it was started out, out of pain, drowning out all of that pain. So while I was drinking, I would also smoke. Uh, And then eventually when I kind of gave up on drinking as much, I would utilize marijuana for expanding my mind, for, you know, gathering new insights about myself. So while I was in one of these sessions is when these insights would come out, be like, Uh oh, why was I behaving these ways? And then while while these questions would come out, I realized questions has played an important role in my life. Because when I ask the right kind of questions, then I start having those answers, you know, from within. Um, So another thing that happened while I was in Idaho I, about a year and a half into my job, I started having these pains in my solar plexus. Now this is a you know, the, the, in my stomach region and it started out as a, as a subtle pain kind of in the back end, it was, but it was there every morning I'd wake up eventually in about two months, it grew to this pain that I couldn't ignore. It was there every morning. And finally, I, again, one of the unconscious things that I did was sit down and ask questions to this pain. Like, you know, what is that message? Like, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, And one of the things that I got was, why are you waking up, going to this job, nine to five, eight to five, that you don't really care about, that you're not making much of a difference? You know, like in the grand scheme of things, I felt like what I was doing was like, minuscule like 0.2% of a difference that that career that job was making so I felt like there was something greater out there for me Uh, and why am I stuck in this cubicle where you're not really making any difference in someone's life Uh, so that kind of started coming to me and at that point three months into it I realized you know what this career is not it I need to move on I need to find something that's really calling that's really appealing to me um and so that became entrepreneurship, right? That's really a vast kind of topic, a really vast area, entrepreneurship. So I literally just quit my job and moved back to Atlanta. Uh, this was Thanksgiving time, uh, left my job. Yeah, I remember you know, the, the moment when I gave in my notice and usually you give in like a two week notice Hey, I'm gonna leave in two weeks, right? I said, you know what? I, I, I wanted to give in a five week notice. And so I gave in a five week notice. So, end of October, I'm like, you know what, I'm done. Thanksgiving, I'm leaving. And the moment I gave that, I felt so relieved. That pain in my solar plexus dropped. Uh, I felt just something different about me. Like, I felt like I had hope, something outside of what this thing I was working on in Idaho. Uh, And so, essentially, uh, once that happened, uh, now I had to fight. My parents, I had to fight people around me because why are you making this decision? This is like a rash decision. Why not mm-hmm. find another job? Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's the company. Find uh-huh. something else in your field. You know, there yeah. might be a better company out there for you. Uh, and I, you know, I, I took in all those suggestions, but eventually I realized like it's not just the company; it's the whole career. Like I don't find a lot of meaning doing that. Uh, you know, I could project myself, seeing myself as a manager ten years down the road. Uh, realizing, you know, senior people in my company. And I'm, I was thinking to myself, like, do I really want to live that life? Yeah, right. Ten years. And I said, No, it's I, I don't find joy in that, you know, I don't find increasing my salary from 75,000 to 120,000 over 10 years. That's no joy for me. You know, I'd rather go and make change in people's lives and actually, you know, affect someone as opposed to working for some corporation.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and so all of this was going on inside of me. And then, when I was expressing myself to my parents, obviously I got some sort of uh, uh, opposition because you know my dad had gone through that whole period where he was uh, an entrepreneur himself, lost a lot of money and then got the stable job. So all of that came up for him and he was pushing me away from becoming an entrepreneur. He said, it's gonna be a tough life. You know, you, you'd rather just you know, work, find something that, you, uh, that you're passionate about, maybe a different career, or a different job. And, you know, go in that, you know, find it with a different company, but nothing was really sitting for me. And I felt like I had to leave this and do something else. So I finally decided like I was, this was it. I'm out of here. I moved back to Atlanta. And at this point I was exploring, I was also diving deeper into meditation, uh, you know, towards the end of my time in Idaho is when I picked up that book of secrets. So I just gotten exposed to meditation. And when I moved back to Atlanta, I was like, this is a perfect time. You know, I'm coming into a new space. It's perfect time to start a new ritual. And so this time I started, uh, creating something from around meditation. So I would, I'm a self self-learner self-starter. So I Googled what meditation is and read a lot about it. Yeah. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of crappy stuff out there too. And I was you know reading both, getting confused by both, but I felt like finally through experience through me actually meditating, I was able to understand what the essence of meditation is. Um, and I think one of the key things is, is when you first begin meditating. Because at this point, I was still in that mindset of running the rat race constantly, doing, 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 never having the time to, to sit with myself and introspect. And so meditation was finally, you know, I was finally learning to give myself that space.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so initially when I would meditate, it was like I was on the top of the ocean where the waves are really, really, really turbulent constantly turbulent, a lot of thoughts, like ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. And so I would sit down to meditate. Uh, and the way I'd done it is I was renting out this room in, in a friend's apartment and all my belongings were in that room. So I would focus myself in the corner of the room. So all of my belongings are behind me. All my distractions are out of, out of sight. So I would focus on in the wall and in the corner and I'd have my phone. Uh, so I put my phone away and I'd you yeah. know, try to meditate,
2: yeah. but
1: then, one of the things that would come up in mind is, has it been five minutes yet? Cause I would set myself to do a five minute thing, like just right. start out small. I don't want to go 30 minutes, just start out small. Uh, and so I would, I would have this question like, has it been five minutes yet? And then I would look at my phone and it's only been 30 seconds. So I figured, you know what, let me create a timer on my phone. So I put a five minute timer on my phone and then I set my phone far away enough so that it, I don't get distracted by it during those five minutes. But when it rings, I'm going to go and pick it up. So that kind of got my phone away as a distraction as well. Now I've finally given myself that space to just be with myself and this corner of the room. Uh, So thus began my meditation journey. But I felt like having that ritual of setting a five-minute, whatever that little baby step is, even if that's one minute, do that baby step. You don't want to start out with a 15-minute timer, or a 30-minute timer, because that's way too far. You're going to give up much sooner than having those yeah. little baby steps. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You know? That makes and a lot that, of
0: sense.
1: It's been, that's been my life, is taking those little baby steps in the direction that I want to walk in. Yeah. Uh, and so I started out with this meditation, started meditating five minutes. About a few months into it, I was able to consistently meditate for those five minutes, But six months into it, I was able to do about 10 minutes. Slowly, slowly, I was able to pick up and do a little bit longer and longer. Um, And then it has evolved even even further. It started off with meditating a certain way. But now I realize, well, I could go on a walk. And that's a meditation as well. As long as I'm there looking at the beauty around me, the trees around me, people around me, not really being in my thoughts, not really thinking so much, but just enjoying my experience at that moment. And that's a meditation as well. Uh, so I started meditating different ways. Then I would, uh, now recently I've gotten into breath work. So like breathing uh, deeply and, you know, pushing the energy, the prana into different parts of the body, uh, using mudras hand different hand positions and, you know, breathing into the body and activating different chakras. So I've kind of like evolved my meditation over about six years, seven years of meditation. Yeah.
0: Now I'm going to jump you ahead after slowing you down, slowing you down, slowing you down. Uh, now I'm going to jump you ahead because I'm uh, aware that we the the clock is running here, yeah, yeah. and um, and I want to get. So I think you enjoyed some success as an entrepreneur. I have that impression. Is that right? Yep, I did. You did, and so so let's move into this more current stage of your life. Um, And I don't know, did you end up getting married or
2: not?
1: I did, I did end up getting married uh, about six years ago and in about a month or about six weeks or so we're expecting a first child.
0: (laughs) Good for you, all right. All right, so that's a a happy ending to that part of it. And uh, so let's talk about, uh, you you were originally uh, wanting to be an entrepreneur but now you refer to yourself as a soulpreneur, the S-O-U-L-preneur, and uh, really have oriented your life towards towards service. And um, so let's talk about the service and, and your, you know, and, and and I had the word passion in there because you've been very passionate about, I think everything that you did uh, Particularly in your turnaround, you know that you really felt drawn to something uh, different, very different from where you had been going. So let's talk about this podcast that you do, yeah. and um, and one of the things I discovered was that you're doing it, I think, real time on FaceTime. Is yeah, that right? It's real
1: time on it's live. It's YouTube live. And, YouTube and Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Facebook—that's the one I meant to say. And uh, you know, so I listened in. Tell us, tell us um, the name of the podcast.
1: The name of the podcast is "What's Your Story."
0: What's your story, and who's your target audience?
1: The target audience is, you know, I've been interviewing essentially South Asians thus far, so Indians, uh, Bangladeshis, Pakistan.
0: Right, and so I (laughs) listened. And, and so I listened to that and um, and it seemed like you were allowing people to tell their stories and out of, in their stories, we were hearing kind of the challenges of being uh, a, a South Asian Southeast Asian person in America and it's got some challenges. And yeah, you're...
1: you know. so the thing is, What I've seen thus far is there has not been a push for especially the people that have come here from India. There's been, you know, in the the kids, there's always been a focus on engineering. There's always been a focus on science on the traditional path that I was, you know, used to. Uh, And my idea is, hey, why not give, you know, amplify voices of people that are doing something different in their lives. You know, maybe they have a, they're a doctor, but on the side they are, you know, they sing or they're, you know, they're, they're a great singer or artist or, you know, a musician or whatever that may be. They have a passion or they're created a nonprofit that's helping the world in some form or fashion. You know, so I wanted to amplify these voices. So we have had several entrepreneurs, several uh, people that are uh, doing different things in their life. We've had politicians on the show uh, South Asian politicians in the Bay Area. Uh, we have had uh, musicians on the show, comedians on the show, uh, you know, an actor in, uh, in Bollywood, he was on the show as well. Uh, getting to understand what their journey has been, getting to understand if someone wants to follow, you know, wants to become a politician, wants to be inspired, is, is inspired by politics and wants to you know, take a step in that direction, what's the way to go about doing that? What advice would you give them? Uh, that's one aspect that I'm covering. Not only that, but you know, what are the pitfalls? What, what are the different challenges that you are faced? And then they have a message that they want to share as well. You know the different politicians, they have their platform. So I ask them questions about that about maybe an election coming up. So it's kind of a, a holistic way of talking about the issues, amplifying people's voices so that the messages can get out to the people like, you know we are here to support you. Uh, at some point I'd also done a different version of this, a twist on it. And I had organized panel discussions where we took different topics. Uh, so, so, and an example of a couple topics are like women's abuse, you know, the abuse that are on women in, in our community. So we had several different panelists that are uh, covering multiple perspectives. So we had someone who was a, a victim who was abused by her ex-husband it was someone who was uh working for a mental health organization you know on a nonprofit side so c- kind of giving their stories and there was an attorney from a mental health organization uh oh, sorry there was an attorney for like women's rights uh and uh yeah and the, the, so that we had like you know multiple different perspectives then we covered mental health colorism so all these different kind of issues that are prevalent in our community but it's not only for our community that applies to every community I really wanted to bring out these conversations within our community because I didn't see people talking about this. Yeah. Now you see more and more. This was in 2020. So now you see more and more people talking about this in our community. But at that time, you know, I wanted to have these hard conversations and do them live. My one thing has always been I wanted to do it live because I want to have that experience of unedited, live you know, being in front of a camera and talking to someone, being able to ask them questions impromptu without having a script. So initially when I would do these interviews, even one-on-one, the panel discussions, I would have a script. I would have the questions pre-prepared, very kind of formal. And, you know, like I wasn't a good host uh, or interviewer because like what I've seen other people do is, you know, when I give an answer, like for example, when I'm being interviewed on someone's podcast like you, David, You'll take something, you'll take a thread from what I just spoke about and, you know, pull it and connect it to your next question, uh, you know. But what I would do is I would say, oh, wow, that's a great answer. And let's move on to the next question. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't really have that great transition. So I, I realized all these things while I was going through these live interviews, you know.
2: sure.
1: Um, and so this was like live in action. I wanted to have that experience because at some point I want to take this, into a live audience in you know with people in person uh and you know i want to do this in la and all around the all around the country actually interview people in a similar format
0: uh-huh well that's very courageous i think it's also <laughs> reminds me of the comedian thing you know like to be a stand-up comedian i think is one of the uh most courageous things to do you know there's <laughs> Uh, you know, I fantasize yeah. about it, but <laughs> true, true. <laughs> it's it takes I a lot I of courage to do that.
1: Uh, I fantasize a lot about uh, stand-up comedy as well. And so I do try to incorporate that in, you know, whenever I get a chance.
2: Yeah, uh, And it, it's
1: all been a, a work in progress, right? It's all like every conversation that I have, I try to be more aware of me in the conversation because I realized uh, one of my biggest challenges has been my vocal, my voice expressing myself. And uh what I've realized is the, especially in the last about eight months that I need to have certain reminders around me. Like you can see the one behind me that says yes, you can. You see the other one on this side. This is a uh it's called the Sri Yantra. And essentially it represents uh different aspects, different qualities that should be in a human being. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a dot in the center. And that dot represents us, like the individual. And then all of these different uh, designs represent different qualities and characteristics that uh-huh. are in a good person. Yeah. Uh, so ha- I've had these reminders behind me. There are a couple in front of me in my office. And those are reminders for me to express myself. Those are my, uh, reminders for me to be myself, You know, especially in front of a camera. What I've realized, even when I've, like throughout my PhD, I've had to give presentations. But every presentation I would give I would, while I'm preparing the slides, I would also create a script and I would memorize that script. And so when I'm delivering that presentation, it's re- literally me delivering that memorized script yes. because I wouldn't be conscious enough in the moment to be able to come up with something that's, that makes sense. So I would have to pre-create all of this and memorize it and then blurt it out. So I've had this fear around expressing myself, especially when the lights are on, especially when there are people around me. Uh, When I would go to national conferences in front of 100 people, I would follow the same format. I would have this fear. Uh, And so the work in the last eight months has been me expressing myself, putting myself out there, changing my story internally, and shifting the way I feel about these situations.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a great a great plan, a great journey, uh, a courageous one. Uh, now you've also, and maybe this is a piece of what you're saying, you've you've put on some live events in the community, uh, food-oriented things, you, you've created feasts, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, what we have done, <laughs> uh, so this is a great project that's also currently ongoing. Uh, what we do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, every Sunday, uh, you know, uh, uh, let me go to the history. Actually, it's always a fascinating story. Uh, so this was 2020 pandemic started. Uh, people are losing their jobs, uh, losing their only source of income. They didn't have enough money to put food in their table. So we, a group of us got together, an organization approached us that, hey, we have some funds. We want to do something for the community. What can we do? So me, a couple other people, all of us, uh, like a handful of us got together and we realized that we can provide people with supplies. And so we were putting these grocery bags of rice and wheat and flour and different kinds of supplies together so people could take it to their house, cook it and feed their family. And so we had these drives where people would come to our facility, we would drop it into their trunks and they would leave. And we started out with one drive on a Sunday and then we realized there was a need so that we continued that for five months Six months, we ended up distributing 8,400 bags. Uh, along with that, initially, uh, about the first five weeks, you know, we, we were th- asking ourselves, what else can we do? And we thought that, okay, we could prepare. Not everyone has a home to take these supplies to prepare these meals. So why not prepare hot meals for people who are living out onto the streets? Wow, yeah. Uh, right? And so that we started out with 100 meals. You know, we told a couple of people in our community to cook some meals in their kitchen and bring it, pack it and bring it to us. So we started out that way. And then finally we were able to, within like three, four weeks, it materialized really quickly. We were able to put together a commercial kitchen with a team of about 10 to 15 volunteers that would come in every Sunday to prepare meals from 1,000, 1,500. Now we're doing between 1,500 to 2,000 meals every Sunday. The, the number range uh, varies, but uh, we have kept it in that range. And thus far, we have distributed about 185,000 meals.
0: Wow, good for you. <laughs> and
1: we're going to continue that all the way through 2022. Uh, at least we have confirmed till the end of 2022. And now we're going to talk about 2023 coming up.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am so impressed by that. And, and I'm so glad that we got to hear your story and kind of get that whole trajectory and I even have some sense. I was going to say, well, what's next? What do you foresee in your future? But you've already spoken to that to some degree. Maybe there's more that you want to say.
1: Yeah, I do have a couple other things in mind. Uh, <laughs> Why uh, am
0: I not surprised to hear that?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, so there, along the way, a soulpreneurship, I've also created, uh, so these are uh, mental kind of products, you know, to program the mind mentally. We've also created certain cleanses for the physical body. Uh, you can see them all around me. So these bottles right here, uh, there's some. There's a miracle tea right here in the book right here. Uh, so all of this, these things we've created for a physical cleanse uh, to you know remove toxins from our system. I'm also working on a book uh, that, uh, well, so actually let me continue with this. So along with this, we are, this is sort of removing things from our system. Now I'm, we're adding products that are, adding more good subst- subst- uh, subst- uh, good things to our system. So I'm using Ayurveda, concepts in Ayurveda, Ayurvedic herbs to add good nutrition to the body, to add ashwagandha, for example, like different herbs to the body that will build the body up and energize the body in different ways. So I'm working on that right now, creating these new different uh, supplements and different products in that sense. Uh, along with that, I'm working on a book. Uh, this, the title of the book is called, What's Your Story? And this is the idea that at every moment of our lives, we are creating a story because when we try to make sense of something, when we try to make, make sense of three or four different situations, put it all together, we, we make the meaning out of it. And so I want to bring this idea to the forefront that through this concept, we have the power to create the life that we want to by understanding the power of stories in our life and what stories are constantly going on in our minds.
0: So that's a, a, a big agenda that you've set yeah. for yourself and, uh, but I can see that you are uh, carrying through and it's definitely going to happen. And uh, when your book comes out, let's talk again and maybe we'll do an interview around the book to help get the word out there and, and promote it.
1: And uh, exactly. I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So uh, I really feel, uh, have enjoyed this opportunity to speak with you and uh, have you as a guest on Shrinkwrap Radio and uh, wish you full speed ahead.
1: Thank you so much, David. Thank you. I appreciate this interview. Love and abundance, everyone. And don't forget to drink your water.
0: When Varun Gandhi, Ph.D., reached out for an interview on Shrinkwrap Radio, I was a little hesitant. India is famous for producing gurus, some of whom have become teachers here, and some more reliable than others. If you go on the web, there are tons of individuals holding themselves out specifically as gurus and others under the banner of spiritual teacher or coach. There are lots of podcasts out there, who regularly feature these sorts of folks. That's not my specialty here. I try to have an eclectic mix for you, but I'm often challenged to figure out just where my own boundaries are. In this case, I'm guided by the spiritual teachings of my own youth and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in which he is quoted by Matthew, By their fruits ye shall know them. I checked Varun out by listening to his podcast, where I learned some of his own fascinating story, which we heard in more detail in today's interview. And importantly, I learned about the good works he has been doing in his own Southern California community, working with others who are also of Southeastern Asian descent. I was fascinated to learn about his own authentic spiritual journey, which to some degree was assisted by a book he read by Deepak Chopra, M.D. Is Chopra one of those Indian gurus? I'm not sure he'd describe himself that way, but he certainly has shown himself to be a very widely respected spiritual teacher. Actually, I believe Arun was already on his own spiritual journey, having hit rock bottom in terms of any inner sense of well-being. Yes, he had achieved the American and Indian-American dream of professional and material success, but plagued by inner torment that his life was missing the mark. So I believe it was this inner torment that was the real seed of his spiritual journey. I'm impressed by the baby steps tenacity with which he approached and grew his personal meditation process. I'm also struck, by the way, during his meditations, that the unconscious served up an awareness of the missteps of his life up to that point. And of course, he's continued to seek out useful sources of spiritual wisdom to deepen his journey. He radiates a lot of enthusiasm and joy, which is both inspiring and makes him fun to talk with. As I've already hinted, I'm impressed by the fruits of his being and by his humility and his courage. He describes himself as a soulpreneur, that's S-O-U-L-P-R-E-N-E-U-R, but he also has enjoyed past success as an entrepreneur and is integrating that energy into his work. Through his website, he is selling health supplements and Ayurvedic products, so he may, to some degree, be following in Deepak Chopra's footsteps. He's also working on his first book. We may be checking in with him again down the line. Meanwhile, you can visit his website at drvarungandhi.com. Dr. Varun
2: Hello, Shrink Wrap Radio friends. My name is Carol Williams, and I'm a huge admirer of Dr. Dave in this podcast. I stumbled upon Shrink Wrap Radio last summer. My introduction, episode number 561, Narcissism and Love with young and analyst Kenneth Kimmel. Needless to say, I was hooked. I am a licensed ready marriage and family therapist associate, growing my specialty in narcissistic abuse and trauma recovery. Since my discovery of this treasure in July, I have listened to every episode available through my Eye Catcher app and have now happily downloaded Shrinkwrap Radio's app so that I can listen to his earlier interviews. I know I don't have to convince you of the quality of product Dr. Dave is providing to the field of psychology. You've been listening. What I did want to share with you and Dr. Dave is how much I appreciate the care he takes with creating an overall quality product. There's not one part of this podcast that doesn't scream care from the introductions and summaries, the quality and depth of the interview, and even those catchy tunes that always leave a smile on my face. Dr. Dave's warmth has me feel as if I'm a close friend rather than a listener. And at the end of every podcast, I join him in saying, it's all in your mind. I'd like to ask for you to join me as a financial supporter. While I could tell the email of gratitude I sent Dr. Dave meant a lot, Time is of great value, and I wanted to show Dr. Dave how much I appreciate the work he does. As an impoverished intern, I know that financial resources can be tight for many of us. However, even with funds squeezed to their limit, I do find money for those coffee drinks now and then. I decided by becoming a monthly supporter is my way of buying Dr. Dave a cup of coffee to say thank you for all the work you do. While I wish it could be more, I know that if every listener contributed $5 a month, The investment of his work would be validated. So won't you please head over to shrinkwrapradio.com and click on the green support tab. Thank you so much for listening and for considering joining me in keeping this amazing podcast going. And thank you, Dr. Dave, for contributing to my growth as a clinician and as a human being.
0: Thank you, Carol Williams, for being such a passionate listener and monthly contributor to the show. And, of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. Your regular donations mean so much to me. Time once again to shrink wrap it up. Thanks to today's guest, Dr. Varun Gandhi, for sharing your life story, your spiritual quest, and the important work you are doing in your local community. Next week, my guest will be psychoanalyst Jill Sharf, M.D., co-founder with her husband, David Scharf, M.D., of the International Psychoanalytic Institute. As a senior analyst for many years, she will be a definitive resource. So once again, this is Dr. Dave saying, be kind to yourselves and others.
2: You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make you dangerous.